0: Hey, hey. Welcome to the show. Hope you had a good weekend. Welcome back. This is week two of the show for this year, so I hope you've snuggled in. Hopefully, you're following and you've subscribed so you don't miss out on the daily content. Today, we're having a look at this US submarine deal where Australia is trying to get a whole bunch of submarines from Uh, the United States, these nuclear submarines. So I'm going to take you through what happened last week over the weekend with these US senators complaining that they don't have the capacity to provide these submarines to Australia under the AUKUS submarine agreement. So troubles in the US with regards to Australia, but also closer to home, we're going to have a look at what happened over the weekend with The Voice, Albo, Peter Dutton, you know exchanging fire so i'll take you through those details and add a little bit of information that perhaps you didn't know and i'm going to finish off today with having a look at more pokey's lies coming out of new south wales more specifically from david elliott the minister for transport who is in his final months in parliament i'll tell you what talk about misinformation wait till you hear this But before we get into all of that, wherever you're listening to this podcast, help us out, give us a five-star rating, let others know that you love Chad Theory. Remember, we don't have ads on this podcast, so we rely entirely on the support of our listeners. You can help us out by making a one-off or recurring donation on PayPal. Check out the link below. That would be much appreciated. And also, if you want access to new and exclusive content coming to only paid subscribers, Make sure you check out the link below so that you can become a subscriber and get access to all that additional content. Doesn't matter if you're not on Spotify, you can still use that private RSS link into your favorite podcast app. I've got a special coming your way to members on the state of COVID. I'm going to take you through a whole bunch of details, explain where we are at in the pandemic, all this stuff about the China policy, how they have to test before coming into Australia. There's also some stuff that I'm going to discuss on that special about how Australia, our government, is one of the few governments that's not actually sharing data. Why are we keeping our COVID data a secret? So we'll take a look at that as well as this latest variant, giving you all those details. Make sure you subscribe, check out the link below so you can get access to that special along with a whole bunch of other content I have for members coming up. Let's get into it. Australia's quest to improve their submarine fleet through a deal with AUKUS, either from the US or Britain has been dealt a blow because a couple of senators over in the United States have issued a warning to the White House, sending the letter on December the 21st, just recently, um, voicing concerns that the US won't be able to reach their own goals with these Virginia submarines because of commitments that are being made to countries like Australia. So the two senators that sent this letter from the Committee on Armed Services. And more specifically, Jack Reed is on the Subcommittee on Sea Power. So, you know, he's the chairman. He's quite an influential decision maker. And here's a little excerpt from this letter. It says, over the past year, we have grown more concerned about the state of the US submarine industrial base, as well as its ability to support the desired AUKUS SSN end state. He said, we believe current conditions require a sober assessment of the facts to avoid stressing the US submarine industrial base to the breaking point. We are concerned that what was initially touted as a do-no-harm opportunity to support Australia and the United Kingdom and build long-term competitive advantages for the US and its Pacific allies may be turning into a zero-sum game for scarce, highly advanced US SSNs. So his basic argument is, we can't make the commitment to deliver these submarines because of supply constraints. There you go, it keeps coming up. So the military industrial complex is apparently operating at full pelt. Well, at least regarding these submarines, because around the world, many different countries are you know, jumping to produce these submarines. And the reason why is because... The Asia-Pacific is becoming so much more important, and it's the mo- and it's one of the more easier ways to navigate these waters and have a presence in a stealthy way. Now, for the United States, they want to have an operational force of 66 fast attack submarines, but these senators noted that the U.S. Navy has only 50 of these in its current fleet. And that's expected to be reduced even further to 48 by 2027 because older submarines are retiring faster than the new ones are delivered. So they're not able to replace these aging submarines. Now, in December, a report by Congress said the U.S. Navy's shipbuilding plan warned that two U.S. shipyards that build nuclear submarines will be at capacity for the next 15 years And that's just to create what the US needs. That doesn't even take into account what us Aussies are asking for. So Peter Dutton has come into this and he's saying, no, there's no questions. We can still get these two Virginia-class submarines from the United States by 2030, despite what we've heard in this letter. Um, And, you know, despite, you know, this AUKUS pact stretching and, you know, reaching breaking point, uh, he reaffirmed that his personal view is that Australia could purchase these nuclear submarines off the shelf from a Connecticut production line, which is different. And he's obviously pressuring the Prime Minister Albanese to make that argument when dealing with the Americans. Now, the tricky thing for us here in Australia is that the Albanese government is unveiling its submarine plan in March. And this is the first time members of Congress have expressed you know, that there are issues and potential misgivings over the AUKUS arrangement. Now, I guess the obvious question is, what's so good about these submarines? Why is everyone sort of, you know, tripping over themselves to get their hands on these submarines? And the reason why is because the US has this advanced nuclear submarine technology. Let me take you through the different sorts of submarines that are going around and why they're different and why some are potentially better than others obviously depending on their use. So if we look at this nuclear submarine technology, they have an onboard nuclear reactor and this reactor splits atoms and then releases energy into like a steam generator and it creates this high-pressure steam And that turns the propulsion turbines. Now, compared to a diesel submarine with its engine actually on, I'll explain why they can turn their engines off, it's actually a lot quieter on these nuclear-powered submarines. Not only that, but they're much faster and they have a lot better endurance. Take this for an example, right? A nuclear submarine can circumnavigate the world 20 times without needing to refuel. Now, a conventional diesel submarine simply could not do that. I mean, they have to resurface, uh, you know, every few hours because they rely so much on air. And not only that, you know, they need to have access to friendly ports and all that kind of thing for refueling. So they're completely, completely different. Diesel electric submarines, you know, they have batteries that they need to charge at intervals. That's how they turn their engines off, Um, you know, and obviously there's the risk of, you know, alerting your presence to an adversary. Um, It's more easy to detect submarines if they're closer to the surface. So they can only go hard at their top speed for a few minutes. But a nuclear-powered submarine can maintain these higher speeds indefinitely. I mean, they're very, very different propositions here. But that's not the full story, you see, because there's this emerging technology, which isn't really emerging, it's been around for a long time. But it's being used increasingly in submarine construction, and it's called air independent propulsion. Now, if this is done properly with the latest tech, and the latest engineering, it can actually stay underwater even more quietly than a nuclear sub (laughs) because the hydraulics in a nuclear reactor produce noise as they pump coolant liquid. Whereas with this air independent propulsion, these are basically silent. Now, diesel powered submarines, they can normally only achieve this level of quietness, you know, when they're running on battery power that's being charged up by their diesel engines. And like I said earlier, you can only do this for a few hours at a time. Whereas an AIP sub, that's the Air Independent Propulsion Sub, they can keep this up for a few days. Still, it is very different to the nuclear technology. I mean, these nuclear subs really are what the US needs for their role that they've assumed as, you know, world police, because they go on really, really long trips and the Indo Pacific is just vast bodies of water. So for a country like the United States who has completely replaced their submarine fleet with these nuclear subs, they need that technology. They need that, that ability for these really long trips where they can stay below the surface undetected you know, for days, even months at a time. It, it really is truly incredible when you, when you think about it. But for us as Aussies, you know, do we really need that level of technology for what we need these submarines for? We have a very different operation, different strategy, a different requirement for our subs than, say, the United States. I mean, how much navigating are we going to do in open water away from Australian borders? If the US is already doing that, why do we need to match them and enter into that same level of Maritime technology. It it just seems like it's a little bit of trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's, it's it just f- seems to me like it was a previous government that really wanted to make good in this orchestral show. The United States, show the UK that yeah, Australia, we're bringing something to the table. Put our hand up. Notice us. We're here to be involved. You know, we're here to participate. How much money can we throw at you guys? And at the end of the day these other technologies that are available to us might actually be better suited to what we need them for. Now, I'm no military expert by any means, but I think it's worth asking the questions as Australians, why does our military need this nuclear version submarine that can navigate for months on end in vast open bodies of water? I mean, surely our role is to assist the United States in their sort of broader military strategy, I mean, it depends really who you ask. That's why you hear so many politicians saying, "Hey, we don't need these nuclear subs. We can have these diesel subs. We have this AIP technology." Mind you, you can actually add on this air-independent propulsion tech to existing diesel subs, and they are so much cheaper. These nuclear submarines are billions and billions of dollars, whereas, you know, these diesel-electric with this air-independent propulsion add on this technology that they're using they're under a billion dollars you know in some instances you can get them for you know a couple of hundred million so the cost is definitely definitely a major consideration and it just strikes me as really strange that we're stretching ourselves for nuclear submarines that we don't really need given the difference in the strategic sort of missions of Australia versus the United States, our much larger partner, when the cost is so outlandish, even Malcolm Turnbull has come out and reminded everyone of a very important detail, which is that these nuclear submarines that will purportedly come from the United States, they will need to be operated by the Australian Navy under the supervision of the US Navy. So we're going to pay, again, billions and billions of dollars for submarines that we don't necessarily need because they're based on U.S. requirements that will need to be operated under the supervision of the U.S. Navy? I mean, come on, people. Have we just blown all of our priorities out of the water here? No pun intended. So hopefully when the time comes, when Albanese in March and his government lays out their submarine plan, hopefully there's a little bit more discourse around the issues that I've, that I've raised here. The debate over the voice is heating up with Peter Dutton issuing an open letter to the Prime Minister Anthony Albanese on Saturday, the 7th of Jan, basically saying, we need more detail. You haven't given us as the Liberal Party or Australians more broadly enough detail to assess the merit as to how this will work, what the model is, and whether we actually need this. Now, I'll, I'll take you through the sort of broad strokes of what Peter Dudden was saying here. And it's not just Peter Dudden who is asking for more detail. Green Senator Lydia Thorpe came out praising Coalition Senator Jacinta Price for calling out for more transparency, we need more details. Uh, Lydia Thorpe saying the Greens still haven't formed a position because we don't have enough information. There are concerns from the Greens that, you know, this is going to be a hand-picked group of Indigenous leaders by the Albanese government. And look, I'm going to do a deep dive into The Voice in a lot more detail as a special for you guys. So make sure you're subscribed. Check out the link in the description so you can access that exclusive members' content, but I just wanted to make a few comments about this here and now because of all this hoo-ha going around with Anthony Albanese and Peter Dudden, and we saw the Nationals MP, Andrew G. sensationally quit the party, saying that he feels he can best represent his constituents by speaking out on issues, free from party constraints and expectations, he said. There's obviously division within the National Party, he outlined, he can't reconcile all the details yet because he doesn't feel like within the Nationals there has been a sustained debate to determine whether or not they should support it and i think it's it's truly incredible that this is causing so much division i mean to the point where andrew g obviously felt that he would or felt the need that he should leave the nationals party i mean that's such a big move I don't know if this was a long time coming or there are other issues there, but it is truly incredible that a single issue like this could divide Andrew G to the point where he would leave the party. But that's not it. There's so much more to this. Peter Dutton raises an issue that I think isn't part of the discourse to a significant enough degree yet, and that is this. My understanding of Indigenous cultures in Australia is that they're not as unified as we would like to think. There are many, many different voices in Indigenous communities. There are many different languages, many different dialects. We don't have this overarching Indigenous or Aboriginal culture that simply needs a voice at the top of it to represent all their concerns. There are many, many tribes around Australia who have different beliefs, who have different needs, And for me, you know, looking in as an Australian, I guess from the outside over the years, having grown up in Australia my whole life, one of the things that I've noticed is that for the most part, Indigenous Aussies feel like they have been displaced. Now, it's not for me to speak on their behalf. They can speak for themselves. And ostensibly, that's what Anthony Albanese is trying to achieve here with The voice is to give them a voice for themselves. But the problem is it's giving them a voice, albeit for the elites who are able to communicate in that parliamentary environment, that doesn't necessarily present those dispossessed indigenous people who simply want to live their own lives the way that they want to live. And I know that's a very loaded statement and it's going to require a lot more analysis. Like I said, I'll I'll do so in a dedicated episode. But on face value, I just want those of you listening to consider this in case you already haven't. If you're an Indigenous person who feels like you have been displaced and your ancestors were displaced and your ancestors were killed for their land, who doesn't view Australia as having been settled, like most of the history books will tell you, but it was conquered. Wouldn't you want to be able to live your own life, live your own way, live off the land in the way that your ancestors did? And a lot of indigenous people are able to do that. But it just seems incredibly ironic that us operating in this Westminster system with our Western institutions, with our Western philosophies and our effectively British ways of doing things in most instances, want to give Indigenous people a voice which may or may not actually have any teeth. It's more of a symbolic thing so that they can communicate their needs and wants with our parliament. I mean, isn't that something that we would normally do with a foreign nation? It just seems like there are some glaringly obvious details here which are being glossed over. So again, I ask you to ask yourselves, how do Indigenous people want to really live? Is that consistent with what we've created, with the Australia that we've created? And will this voice give them an opportunity or an outlet to enshrine themselves with that way of of living that that most of them um, presumably desire? It's a very strange thing to understand how a group of people who are so scattered and so tribal want to live and give them a a sort of a singular voice in a parliament, which so many of them vehemently reject. So that's my opinion. Again, I'll come to you with more details in due course. But there are a whole bunch of details here that are missing. So I do tend to agree with Peter Dutton. And I think he's just asking some obvious questions that need to be answered. Like I said in the outset, I wanted to make some brief comments about the ongoing pokies debate here in New South Wales, because Minister for Transport, David Elliott, who is leaving politics soon... Has he come out and he's taken issue with Dominic Perrette's cashless card, arguing that it's going to impact, you know, those average punters that, you know, just want to have a $20 bet. And I think it's interesting because we've seen this come up time and time again. This is the sort of the, the rhetoric that we hear against the cashless card is that they're taking away your ability to make your own decisions as to whether or not you want to gamble. But the reality is the problem gamblers make up the majority of the revenue generated by pubs, clubs, and RSLs in New South Wales. I took you through the details last week, but I I just wanted to reiterate today for you guys that this argument is is a, basically, it's a straw man argument. So the argument goes a little something like this. In the minister's own words, he said, What you'll see is people just walking out of registered clubs and pubs and walking down the road and not putting the 20 bucks after bowls in a poker machine, but going to the news agency and buying 20 bucks worth of scratchies. Now, he also said, or the argument's also been made that, you know, people will we'll just go to bet on the horses and you know you're not going to get rid of the issue but 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 hear this there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how poke machines work and how it's very different to scratchies and betting on horses for example and I've discussed this previously so let me reiterate this for some of you who may not have heard this the way that pokey machines are actually designed are inherently deceiving so if you make a dollar bet for example and you get 40 cents back. The poking machine will play the lights, it'll play the sounds, it'll have all the flashes and all the bells and whistles as if you've actually won something. Now, let me just give you that example again. You bet a dollar and you get back 40 cents. You haven't won anything. You've actually lost 60 cents, right? You put a dollar in and you pulled out 40 on that particular spin. So if you had put that dollar in and done that spin and come back with a dollar 40, you haven't actually won $1.40, you've only made 40 cents. So in that first example where you made 40 cents, you actually lost 60. And in the second example where you made $1.40, you only made 40 cents. But if you're there hitting those buttons on that poker machine, the poker machine will react very similarly in both circumstances. It gives you that dopamine hit, which is why so many people get addicted to gambling. In both scenarios, whereas in the first example, you lost money. In the second example, you won money. There's nothing quite like that with scratchies and betting on horses. With scratchies and horses, if you win, you win. Whereas with pokies, if you lose, it still makes you feel like you've won. Now, my solution, along with the cashless gaming card, which is more so targeted at money laundering and organized crime, which is separate from the, the gambling issue, which really concerns me a lot more is that you know so many families out here in labor heartland mind you in western sydney are being screwed over because of there being so, you know, so many poker machines it's, it's it's absolutely disgusting but if we just fix this design flaw in the pokies machines then people will realize that you're that you're winning on very 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 few occasions so if these pokies machines were designed to only give you that dopamine hit when you've actually won something, then they won't be as appealing for addicted gamblers because you're not getting that constant rush. And that's how these machines are designed. They're designed to keep you there. I've also, you know, given you examples of. Uh, I can't remember where it was over in Western Sydney. There was a there was a pub I think that made a loss of around two million dollars on its bar so that it could attract. Pokies. I mean, you know, you get free drinks and they make everything nice and comfortable. They have smoking areas. I mean, the strategies that these organizations come up with to keep problem gamblers sitting there for sustained periods of time comes from the actual poker machine design, comes from the environment that pubs and clubs provide, all the little perks and little fringe benefits that you get for sitting there for. Lengthy periods of time. It is truly disgusting. And why this isn't part of the debate is completely beyond me. I have not heard one politician come out and discuss all those factors. Everything is focused on this cashless gaming card. We need to be looking at those other factors, these environmental factors that create this environment, that create this ongoing dopamine hit for problem gamblers that we need to make a little bit more realistic, so that it is like scratchy, so that it is like betting on horses or betting on a footy game, for example. Not to mention the other elephant in the room, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but pokey manufacturers, gambling companies, none of those sorts of companies directly associated with gambling are allowed to make political donations. But take a wild guess who is exempt from that. That's right. Clubs, pubs, RSLs, they make massive donations to political parties. Why do you think they're so powerful? And the odd thing is, they're the ones who in some instances earn 80 or up to 90% of their revenue from pokies machines. Talk about a reach around. I'll tell you what, there are so many issues here that are not part of this cashless gaming card debate that I think are perhaps even more important, particularly when it comes to problem gamblers and their needs going forward. I mean, what kind of a country is this where you have organizations in the middle of suburbs on the corner that make almost all their revenue from pokies machines? It well and truly is a stain on New South Wales and more broadly on Australia. A few things to think about, hey, coming out of the weekend. But uh, remember, I have this special coming your way on COVID, the state of COVID. So look out for that. You'll need to be a paying member to get access to that. So check out the link in the description to become a member. It's a seamless integration if you're listening on Spotify, but doesn't matter what app you're listening to this podcast on, you can always get that private RSS. Uh, URL and copy that into your app so you can get access to all the members only content, not to worry so, going forward I'll have that COVID stuff coming out for you guys I also have some cool exclusive content on international affairs coming your way, so if you're interested in all that sort of stuff, make sure you become a member, thanks for tuning in, I hope you have an amazing week and I'll come back at you guys tomorrow, cheers see ya